Can we just give everyone a hand who had a part in this morning? We're really giving the Lord a hand for using them. Uh, we're so thankful for uh, just our kids and our worship band and just everyone that's been involved this morning. There's a huge uh, production group that's back there that's been doing an incredible job this week putting this all together. And uh, we just want to say thank you to all of them. And I just want to welcome you. I know it's already been done, but I want to welcome you to our first Christmas gathering of 2020. What a year, right? I mean, good night. We have had quite the year. And for some of us, I know, you've had your Christmas tree up now for like a month, right? I mean, there's somebody in this room. I'm not going to give you a prize or an award, but you've had your Christmas tree up way earlier than normal. And I think the reason why, for a lot of us, is nothing feels more hopeful and nothing feels more peaceful than that whole Christmas scene. And you know what Christmas scene I'm talking about? You can kind of imagine this scene with me. Like even, it doesn't even have to be Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. It can be like Sunday afternoon, right? The Christmas scene that we're all thinking of, right? Where you're sitting in your house and the snow starts to fall, you know? I mean, the high's 54 today, but just put that out of your mind. Just think of that snow falling. You got a fire going, and if, if it's gas logs, great. If it's, maybe you're a real man or a real woman, and you've got, like, you've got like actual wood burning in your house, right? And you hear the crackling and all of that. And you, you got the Christmas tree on, and the lights are dim, so, so you, all you see is the glow from the Christmas tree. And Spotify or iTunes is playing the sounds of Christmas. And that's all happening. You got some cookies in the oven baking. You got some apple cider on the stovetop with just the perfect amount of cinnamon and nutmeg. And your kids, your kids are quietly playing in the other room, affirming one another loving each other, having deep, meaningful conversation about how much they care for one another. You got your comfy Christmas sweater on, your comfy Christmas quilt, watching your cheesy Christmas Hallmark movie. And under the tree are all the nicely wrapped packages, right? You have paper actually wrapped with a bow and an actual name tag on the gift so you remember who gets it. No gift bags this year. We didn't have to do that because we were ahead of the game and we didn't have to put Amazon boxes just up under the tree because we didn't have time to wrap them. Everybody's here. No one's working late this Christmas. And your worship pastor has finally embraced Christmas and he is just singing carols like velvet. I just want you to close your eyes for a minute and just imagine that scene, right? Just close your eyes. Can you, can you just, just imagine that scene for a minute? All right, that's enough. Isn't, didn't that feel great for just a minute? Like, for some of you, you're like, dude, that's my only, my only moment like that. Well, you're welcome. Compliments of Pleasant City Church. You're welcome for that moment. Bring us back to reality for just a minute. Bring us back to what's real. Not to be a Grinch. 
Not to be a Grinch and not to bring reality into your little story. But the fact of the matter is that whole scene that we just painted is completely a creation of us, right? It's not a God-created scene. It's not a bad scene. I'm not not busting it. We're going to have that kind of scene in our house. But it's not really a God-created scene. And the tension that flies into our lives is when we think that that superficial scene that we've just created, when we think that that scene can somehow salve and somehow fix the weariness we may be experiencing this Christmas, when we think that that scene can do the trick, that's where we find the tension in our lives. And the truth of the matter is, for a lot of us, we are in a state of weariness. When we think of everything that 2020 has brought us, we are just sitting here today thinking, I cannot wait for this to be over. And some of you might have in the back of your mind that if I just put my Christmas tree up a little early this year, if I just stuff a few more cookies in that somehow I can forget all the weariness and all the trouble of 2020. But here's the truth about this whole thing. This scene that we've painted, that wasn't the scene that Jesus arrived on, right? Jesus didn't arrive on that kind of scene. Wesley Green and Kenny G weren't playing in the manger Mary's push mix, all right? Try to get that image out of your head. But anyway, that's not the scene you have. In fact, we've had some incredible men in our church and some families in our church that just kind of put this scene together. And they did an incredible job. But here's the truth about this. And this is really just a scene for us to kind of picture. It's an art form that we can just look at and think about the story of Christmas. But here's the truth. This scene is very sanitized, right? In fact, if you walk up closely, some of the wood in this scene was hand-picked cedar. And it smells really good when you get up close. In fact, I might take some of this back to my house after we're done and throw it in the closet. I mean, it's that good a smell. But we all know the truth, right? It probably didn't smell like this in the manger, right? It smelled not like this. The scene was not sanitary. The scene was not clean. And there was no sugar cookie and there was no cinnamon cider in the manger. That's not the scene that Jesus shows up in. In fact, when Jesus shows up, he doesn't show up to a world poised in celebration. Instead, Jesus shows up in the rusted and the ruined. He shows up in the dirty and the devastated, and he shows up in the worn out, worn down, and weary. And here's the cool thing about all of that. That should give us hope this morning. That should give us hope this morning because Jesus didn't show up in a superficial scene. He showed up in a very real scene. And deep down in our hearts, I think we know that no matter what our Christmas scene looks like, no matter how sanitary it is, no matter how clean it is, no matter how pretty it is, deep down we know that's not going to fix the weariness that we may be experiencing this year. 
The only thing that can fix that is a Savior that came into a world that was weary. A Savior that came into the rusted and ruined, into the dirty and the devastated, and into the worn down, worn out and weary. And if he can do that, if he did that, and we know he did 2,000 years ago, he can do that this Christmas for you. And so I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. And, and I already know, like, I can see the panic on some of your faces. You pulled the hand out this morning and you're thinking, man, there are like three points on this thing. Where are all my blanks? And some of you might be thinking, hey, this might be a short sermon. I can assure you it's not, all right? But here's the thing. I know for some of you, you love the blanks, and I like the blanks. And, and I gave you some room there to write some things down if you want to. But here's the thing I don't think we need this Christmas. A lot of us have grown up in church for a long time. And if you haven't, that's great. I'm glad you're here this morning. But a lot of us have kind of grown up, and even here in the Bible Belt, even if you didn't grow up in church, you know a lot about the Christmas story. And I feel like the last thing that we need this Christmas is just another fact to check off in our brain about what Christmas was about. I really don't want us focusing on facts this Christmas. I don't want you worried about the blank on the handout. I want us to kind of look into our own hearts and say this. Is there a blank in my heart this Christmas? Maybe you're a believer in this room and maybe you're, you're, you're feeling that. You're feeling that something's missing. With everything that's happened, something's missing. Or maybe you're in this room and you just kind of were invited by a friend or you just wanted to show up and see what this was all about. And maybe there is a huge hole in the middle of your heart this Christmas. God's desire is that he can come in and invade your superficial and bring you new life. And so Matthew chapter 1, you have the story of how Jesus comes into the world. And we're going to be looking at different parts of this story over the next three weeks. But look at what it says, what Matthew says about the coming of Jesus. Look at verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her or break off the engagement quietly. So you can, you can kind of get the scene in your head, right? Joseph, I'm pregnant, but I'm still a virgin. And, you know, try that story on your neighbors or your friends. That doesn't really fly very well. And it didn't, at the time, fly with Joseph. But Joseph cares about Mary, and so he thinks... I'm going to just do this quietly. I'm not going to make a spectacle of all of this. I'm just going to do this quietly. And look at what it says in verse 20. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son... And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. You know, when we start the Christmas journey as a kid, it's really all about one thing. What can I get for Christmas, right? 
I mean, that's where it starts on the Christmas journey for almost every person in this room. When you were a kid, that was kind of the thought process. Whether you came from a wealthy family or a poor family, typically that's the thought process. What can I get for Christmas? In fact, kids, if you really set them down and say, hey, what's Christmas about? Most of them, they might not say it like this, but they're going to say something like this. Christmas is all about the presence. Christmas is all about the presence. And you think about it, kids are fired up this time of year. You remember what it was like being a kid. You, you get your list together of what you want, and you hand that off to mom, or you go to Uptown Shelby and uh, sit on Santa's lap. This year, you're not sitting on his lap. You're just waving at him and kind of throwing your letter at him. But you, you, you do that, right? You get your list, you give it to Santa, and you think to yourself, okay, this is either the guy, or he at least knows the guy that's going to get me what I need or what I want. And then what do we do as kids? We wait with eager anticipation until Christmas morning or Christmas night for some of you. And then Christmas morning comes and you get the thing you wanted. And here's the truth. We remember those Christmases. In fact, if I asked you in here right now, what was your favorite Christmas story, your favorite Christmas moment as a child? What was the best thing you ever got each one of you could probably come up with what that thing is. I, I brought the thing for me this morning. This right here, as a seven-year-old, was the thing to get. It's the Nintendo Entertainment System. This is an original one. And I remember Christmas morning running down the hall and this sitting there waiting on me. Super Mario Brothers rescuing the princess. And it what didn't just stop there. It also came with this thing right here. <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Hunting in the, in, the, in the comfort of your own home. And this was well beyond its years, right? You would click the little thing at the screen and ducks would just start to fall. And here's the thing. You all can probably sit there and remember what your favorite Christmas looked like. We remember that because at that age in our lives, Christmas was all about what we get. It was all about the presence. But here's the truth about that. And we, we know this as adults, and one day our kids are going to figure this out. That statement is completely superficial and completely temporal. And the reason for that is not long after Christmas Day, what happens to the toy? It goes away. It gets sold. This isn't even mine. I had to borrow this from a friend in our church. We forget about the present. It doesn't hold the value that it used to have. For some of us, we get that rude awakening. For me and the Nintendo, the rude awakening was literally the very next day. Because I didn't realize it at the time, but I had a 24-year-old dad who wanted to rescue the princess just as bad as I did. <laughs> and for a solid week, I didn't get as much playing time as I thought I was going to get. But Christmas, when it comes to presents, is a temporal thing. 
And the beauty of Christmas, the beauty of the Christmas story is that God gives us a gift that is far greater than any temporal thing we get here on this earth. And it's all here in this title. The angel says, she will bear a son. Mary will bear a son and shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. This name Jesus was not a new name, okay? In fact, this name had been around even in the Hebrew. In fact, if your name in this room is Josh or Joshua, guess what? You virtually have the same name as Jesus, It means God or the Lord saves. God saves. And so when Joseph hears this, when Joseph heard this name, he immediately knew what this baby was bringing into the world. In other other words, this is not just a baby. This is God's gift to you and to me. A gift that we desperately needed. In fact, if you look in Ephesians chapter 2, you don't have to turn there because I got it right here on the screen for you. But I love what this says. I know this isn't your typical Christmas passage. But think about what this means for us. A gift that we desperately needed. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world. Following the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That is our story right there before Christ. Ruined, dirty, devastated, worn down, and weary. You see, the Christmas story is not, Jesus did not come to help us save ourselves. No, Jesus came to save us from ourselves. We're the problem in the story. We're the the fault in the story of redemption. We're the ones that create the problem. And then look at verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us. What is that great love? Many of you know it to be true, but it's this. What started in a Bethlehem cradle, continued to a Jerusalem cross, and emptied and ended in an empty grave. The gospel story is what Jesus brings to us. A life of redemption for us. That even, verse 5, that even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. Look at what it says. It is the gift of God. Christmas brings about this supernatural and permanent present that God deposits into our life. Salvation. 
And salvation is more, it's not just a transaction on the registers of heaven. No, it is a new creation in the heart of a man or a woman. It's an adoption into a loving father's arms. Not a result of works, verse 9, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Jesus not only did a work for us, he does a work in us. And here's the truth. If you are a follower of Christ, the gift of Christmas, the greatest gift of Christmas, and I know I might sound like a broken record and you've probably heard this a hundred times, but man, we've got to remember this. We've got to focus on this this Christmas. The gift of Christmas is that you have been saved from the guilt of sin. You are being saved from the problems of sin. And when Christ returns, you will be saved from the punishment of sin. This is the gift that Jesus has given us. A life free of guilt and shame. A life walking victoriously out of the sin that so easily besets us. We're able to have authority and the Holy Spirit power running in us where we're not victim to that sin that devastates our life. We're being saved by that. And one day we're ultimately going to be saved from the penalty of sin, the punishment of sin. Death here on earth, but also spiritual death. And you know what's crazy? Somehow we get this so well when it comes to gifts that we give our kids, right? We understand what the gift is. We, we, we give it freely. We don't expect anything in return. And kids take it and don't expect to give anything in return a lot of times. And we understand that so well, but when it comes to the gospel, so many times we think, if I could just do this and this and this and this, then I can somehow earn this favor with God. And he say, no, this is a gift from me, a free gift that I give you. And when Joseph heard all of this, when Joseph is, is told this by the angel, just in the name Jesus, just in the name that means God saves, the gift of Christmas is all wrapped up in that. You know, when you think about it in some ways, maybe the kids have it right. That maybe Christmas isn't all about the presents, but maybe it's about at least one present, right? The gift of salvation. But as we grow, as we get older, and most of you in this room are definitely not kids, but as we grow and get older, Christmas no longer becomes as much about what we can get as much as it becomes who we can spend Christmas with. Christmas goes from it's all about the presents and kind of becomes as adults, Christmas is all about the presents, right? It goes from presents to presents. In fact, there's a point in life where, and some of you are already there, where you kind of just get your own gift, right? I mean, it's like, I can't trust him to get me the right thing. I'm just going to go out and get what I want. And then Christmas comes, it's like, hey, honey, look what you got me, right? We, we kind of been there. We kind of move past this idea of what am I going to get to who am I going to spend Christmas with. If you're an older parent in the room, you understand this perfectly. Because for you, the best Christmas is not 
what am I going to get? It's not a gift. The best Christmas for you, a lot of you, is all your kids being at home this Christmas, right? It's spending Christmas with your family, spending Christmas with the people that you love and you care about. And for most of us in this room, Christmas has moved beyond just presents that we get to presents of those we get to spend Christmas with. But here's the thing about that. Even as noble as that idea is, if you think about it, it's still a temporal thing. Why? Because this year, for some of you, that mom, that dad, that grandparent, maybe even that child is not there. Whether by death or distance, they're not there anymore. And what Christmas rings true for some of us is that Christmas is all about the presence is really a temporal thing that sits on our hearts. And the beauty of Christmas, the wonderful thing about Christmas, is what the angel says here. That if you're missing someone this Christmas, and there's a hole, there's a blank there. I love what the angel says here in verse 21. She will bear a son, she'll call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Look at verse 23. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son... And they shall call his name Emmanuel. And we're about to hear three of the best words to sum up what Christmas is all about. Are you ready for this? They shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. This is another name that Jesus is given. And you know, this is a name that's actually prophesied 700 years earlier with the prophet Isaiah. And Isaiah is there 700 years early with the nation of Israel. And the nation of Israel is in a time of ultimate political unrest. They've got enemies trying to invade from all sides. The, the, the nation is actually divided into Israel and Judah. And you have this wicked king that is sitting on the throne. This king is so bad. His name is Ahaz. This king is so gruesome and bad that he literally takes his firstborn son and burns him alive on the altar of a false god named Molech. This is, this is the story you have. Imagine being in that world for just a minute with the wicked king, a divided country, and enemies coming in on all sides. And in the midst of all of that, in the midst of all of that, Isaiah goes before the king. He goes before the house of David, which means Ahaz and his entire family. And he quotes this very thing that the angel just quoted to Joseph 700 years later. He says in Isaiah 7, 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. You know, when Isaiah spoke these words, I want you to think about this. That was kind of a foreign idea to them. The idea of God being with us looked a lot different than the way it looks for us now. Because the way people related to God during this time was all through the temple. And you have a picture right here of the temple. I know it's not the best picture. But you see how massive 
this complex is. And the fact of the matter is in the middle of the temple sat this one little room called the Holy of Holies. That where the supposed presence, and it was true, the presence of God would come down and dwell with men. And depending, depending on who you were, determine the distance you were from a holy God. Depending on who you were, determine the distance between you and the holy God. So if you look at the layout here, look at the first thing you see here, the next, uh, the next picture. This is kind of the temple layout. And basically how close you could get to the Holy of Holies depended on who you were. So if you're a Gentile in this room, which basically means anyone who is not a Jew, this is how far you got. You're all in the yellow there. That's most of us in this room. That's how far we would get back in Isaiah's day. If you're a Jew, if you're a Jewish person in the room and you're a woman, you get to get a little further. Look at the next one. That's where you got to get. You were able to go right there in the court of women. If you were a man, you could get a little further. You'd be a Jewish man, but you could get right there in that one little section there. Getting closer, but still the distance from a God, a holy God. Next, if you were a priest, if you were part of the Levite tribe, a very special group of people, which I doubt anyone in this room is, like physically or blood-wise, you were in that area. You were a priest in that area, and you could go and be in most of that area. And then here's the thing. There was one man, one time of year, that could actually go into the Holy of Holies. This one little red spot right there on the map that every year one man, the high priest, could go into that one place and dwell with God and offer up the sacrifice for the sins of the people of Israel. And in the midst of all this, in the midst of this system, Isaiah is saying, you shall call his name Emmanuel. And this is what's so crazy. After hearing this, Ahaz, this wicked king, rather than opening up and continuing the temple the way it is, he doesn't do what he's supposed to do. He actually fears invasion. So you know what he does? He actually goes and he barricades the temple even more, where even these people have a hard time getting to place where they worship God. You can go look this up. It's in 2 Kings 16. So Isaiah tells the prophecy to this man, Ahaz, this king Ahaz. And you know what he does? He barricades up the temple where even the way that they related to God then gets hindered. And this is the beauty of the Christmas story. That when this prophecy is given 700 years later, the exact opposite is about to happen. A new king is coming. And this king is not barricading up the temple to prevent people from getting into the Holy of Holies. Instead, the Holy of Holies, the God, the creator of all, is stepping out of the Holy of Holies. He is coming to us. He is no longer going to be in a temple built by men. Instead, he is going to come and indwell men. That they are now going to be the temple. 
in the perfect moment in time, Jesus steps into the silence. He steps into the darkness. He steps into our busyness and our weariness. And he doesn't leave us. I love this because Matthew 1 starts with Emmanuel, God with us. And Matthew 28, Jesus, listen to the very last words Jesus says in the gospel. The same book. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Christmas is the celebration of a holy God coming out of a temple wrapped in human flesh, living among tax collectors and lepers, dying on a cross outside of the city and busting out of a grave all so we can be with him. Think about that. The holy of holies, the creator of the world wants to have a moment-by-moment relationship with you. That is what it means to dwell with us. That for every believer in this room, the guarantee of Christmas is that you will never be alone. You will never be alone. God with us. God accompanying us. God near us. God among us. God including us. God beside us. God in the middle of our weddings, in the middle of our birthdays and promotions. God in the graduations and every great thing we will ever experience, God's there. But God's not also just there or only there. God's also in the middle of our quarantines. He's in the middle of getting fired. He's in the middle of our miscarriage. He's in the middle of chemo treatments. God's in the middle of burying our parents. He's in the middle of our kids walking out. He's in the middle of bankruptcy and God is in the middle of that divorce. God never leaves us. He's in the middle of our humanity and in the middle of our pain and pressure, in the middle of our mess and in the middle of our struggles. God is with us in the heights of our joy and in the depths of our sorrow. And this is what Christmas is really about. That the beauty of the Christmas story is that God supernaturally invades all the super th- superficial things that we try to make Christmas about. He takes the best, the things that we think are the best, right? The presence and the presence. He takes those two things and he gives us Jesus, which is the full embodiment of those two things. A Savior that is the best gift we will ever receive and a God with us, a God that is with us forever. He gives us this all in Jesus. Christmas is not about a superficial scene that comes and goes every December. Christmas is about a supernatural Savior that never leaves. And here's the thing, guys. I know it's kind of a heavy, heavy, heavy start to this series. But I'm here to tell you this morning that no matter what decoration you've put up, no matter what you've got going on in your world, no matter what Christmas play you get to go to, or no matter what present your kids are going to get, all of that's good and fun and great. But this morning, we need to be reminded that Christmas is ultimately about 
an ultimate and satisfying and permanent gift of salvation and an ultimate and satisfying person, God, who came and dwelled with us. And if you're feeling the blues of 2020, God wants to invade your heart this morning, no matter what's going on in your life, and say to you, hey, I'm with you. I'm here with you, and I'm bringing with me the best gift you could ever receive an eternity forever with me. So if you would, go ahead and bow your heads and close your eyes. As we wrap up this morning, I just want to ask. We're not going to have a, an invitation. It's kind of hard to do that with everything going on with COVID right now. But I'm just inviting you in your own heart to really just ask the question this morning. Is there a blank? Is there a blank that's not filled in your life right now? Maybe you're a believer in this room and maybe for whatever reason, 2020 has just rocked you in a negative and terrible way and you're just trying to recover. You're just trying to put some nice things into your world to try to make you forget about all the troubles that are going on. And Jesus is kindly coming in this morning with Matthew 1, the angel said, his name will be Jesus. He will save men. And his name will be Emmanuel. He is with us. And maybe this morning, for you as a believer, you just need that reminder to start Christmas right here and now recognizing why Jesus has come for you and recognizing a reason why we can rejoice in our weariness. But maybe you're in this room this morning and maybe this whole relationship with Jesus thing is kind of a, a new thought process for you. Maybe you thought that salvation is this idea of just showing up to church and, and kind of hanging out. And if I go to church, you know, maybe, maybe that'll get me where I need to be with God and have peace with God and all of that great stuff. And church is awesome. I love church. It's one of my favorite things about the Christian life, one of them. But, but I'm just going to tell you that that's not it. This morning, the blank in your heart is much worse than just a little temporal thing that's bothering you. The blank in your heart is that you have an eternal wrong. You are that Ephesians 2 passage, that part where it talks about the rusted and the ruined, the worn down and the weary, the dirty and the devastated. And, and really, if you were honest, that's your life. That's where you're at right now. And this morning, Christmas has come for you. He's come for you to give you salvation and to give you new life with a God that will never leave you or forsake you. And so this morning in that quiet moment, maybe you don't know what that's all about. Maybe you don't know the story of Jesus and his love for you. I want to invite you, before you leave this place today, come find me. There's pastors near the front. Come talk to a pastor today and start your Christmas off making the greatest decision you will ever make in your life by following Jesus today. Wherever you're at, let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, God, that you are God with us. You are Emmanuel. You didn't come to barricade yourself away from us. You being a holy God and having every right to separate yourself from us, decided to come and wrap yourself in human flesh and live among us and die for us and raise again all so that we can have a moment-by-moment -moment relationship with you. Heavenly Father, I pray that we can just hold to that this morning, that we can recognize that truth 
And Lord, that Christmas would not be about all just the superficial things of Christmas, but God, that we can focus in on the true meaning of what you want to tell us this Christmas. God, help us to find rest in you. Help us to find peace in you. Help us to realize that all of these temporal troubles that we're going through, even when they feel enormous and big, God, that you are, you are with us and we are not alone. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. I pray, God, that wherever we find ourselves, God, that you would speak to our hearts, not even just now, but in the, the week to come. And God, we just thank you for Christmas. We thank you for this celebration that we get to have, where we get to rejoice, even in possibly our weariness. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.